Anyone naive enough to think that we'd heard the last of the Baker Mayfield Johnny Manziel comparisons? <laughs> oh boy! Right? We're just getting warmed up. Right? We are. I'm already agitated just thinking about the lazy Mayfield Manziel comps we're going to be treated to in the next three months. I mean, I thought that it couldn't get worse than the early January coach talk, the NFL coach hot stove, which is the worst season of NFL analysis. Well, <laughs> seems I forgot about NFL draft talk. At what time during the year do I actually like consuming football analysis, right? Do I actually enjoy consuming what the sports media industrial complex puts on my plate on a daily basis? I guess never. I guess I'm always in a state of agitation or dismay or frustration or indignation. It's always something because we're so rarely treated to rich, comprehensive, quality football analysis. I mean, that's my larger objection. That's the objection that spans the entire year. Coach-centric analysis, lazy. Most NFL draft prospect analysis, lazy. And the Mayfield-Manziel comp epitomizes lazy NFL draft analysis. But, but, but Tony Grossi from ESPN Cleveland is here to tell you that, oh no, oh no, comparisons of Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel are fair and appropriate. It's not lazy analysis. No. And Grossi proceeds to go on and write 250 words explaining why the Manziel Mayfield comp is not unfair. It is not lazy. It is appropriate, in quotes. And the article on ESPN reads as follows. Both were scintillating college players with dynamic personalities and incredible competitiveness. Both won the Heisman and lifted their respective football programs into the national limelight. Both were highly accurate passers and charismatic leaders. Both humbled college football coaching legends in epic upsets. Manziel beat Alabama's Nick Saban and Mayfield defeated Ohio State's Urban Meyer. Most significantly, both are undersized and demonstrated immaturity on the field. And that's about it. That's it. That's what he's got for me. Tony Gross's way of proving the Mayfield to Manziel comps are not lazy was to write the laziest football piece I've read all year. A couple hundred words regurgitating the high-level summary of Manziel and Mayfield's career while making sure to highlight height and behavior. But that's it. There's nothing there. Just another vapor piece. This is what we're treated to. At the top, the pinnacle of the sports media industrial complex, ESPN, Entertainment Sports Network, the Leviathan of the industry. This is what they give us. And embedded in it is this rhetorical trick that if I tell you in the title that it's not lazy and then proceed to provide you with lazy analysis, then I'm immunized from the lazy analysis criticism. It's quite the rhetorical trick. The problem is, just because you say it's not lazy doesn't make it not lazy, Tony. Just another member of this droning echo chamber reaffirming misguided conventional wisdom, regurgitating the oversimplified nonsense narratives that perpetuate NFL draft analysis and NFL draft coverage. This has been my perpetual lament for years, and I will continue because I'm just getting warmed up. The next three months are going to be a suffering for you and I. I will suffer under the weight of this bad analysis, and then I will share my suffering with you on the Roto Underworld Radio podcast. Because if you actually want to take a step back and actually do a fair comparison of Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel, you would find that there is no comparison. That Baker Mayfield is such a superior prospect that talking about he and Johnny Manziel as if they're equivalents is offensive. Start with the most predictive data point we have, college efficiency. Manziel posted a 91.3 college QBR the year before he won the Heisman. And that was the highest QBR among college quarterbacks. The problem is the expected points added to Manziel's QBR from rushing offense was above 40. His expected points added from the pass versus the run were well-balanced. 
when you break down Johnny Manziel's production into run and pass, he looks a lot more similar to Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson, statistically, than he does Baker Mayfield. And then in his final season, Manziel regressed, posted an 86.7 college QBR. He was outside the top five that season. He was behind Zach Mettenberger. He fell behind Zach Mettenberger despite playing behind the best offensive line in college football that season, where the majority of the starting linemen were ultimately premium picks in the NFL draft. And he was throwing the ball predominantly to Mike Evans. Yeah, Mike Evans, a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. One of the league's signature size speed specimens, that Mike Evans. Yeah, that guy. So Johnny Manziel had all the advantages at the college level, as well as the luxury of operating within that Kevin Sumlin air raid style spread attack. That system that we know routinely enhances college quarterback production. That's Johnny Manziel. Now you look at Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's QBR was number one in college football for two consecutive seasons. I mean, that's rarely been done. And his expected points added from the pass of 117.7 this season was the highest ever recorded. And while Johnny Manziel's pass expected points added was equivalent to his rush expected points added, Baker Mayfield's pass expected points added of 117.7 was more than 10 times his expected points added from the run of a mere 16.4. So Baker Mayfield was winning from the pocket. He was winning behind the line of scrimmage. He was winning with his arm as opposed to Johnny Manziel winning with a combination of his arm and his legs. Their playing styles were very different. Their efficiency, very different. Baker Mayfield's efficiency was on another plane of existence at the college level. Johnny Manziel was more Robert Griffin III, Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, more Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, Marcus Mariota. Because Mariota and Russell Wilson were the only two quarterbacks in recent times to have an expected points added above 90 when examining their QBR metric. But again, Baker Mayfield, more than 20 points higher in that category than even Russell Wilson and Marcus Mariota, two of the most efficient quarterback prospects in college football history. You can't compare Baker Mayfield to any other quarterback in this particular draft class, and you certainly can't compare him to Johnny Manziel. He's that good. Baker Mayfield is the best college quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Baker Mayfield was a more efficient passer, but I think that when you looked at Andrew Luck's size and athleticism coming out of Stanford, he is the highest graded quarterback prospect of all time. And Baker Mayfield's right behind him. And you don't want to look at advanced efficiency metrics? Fine. Just look at the raw production. Johnny Manziel never posted a completion percentage above 70. Baker Mayfield's completion percentage has been above 70 for two straight seasons. Johnny Manziel never posted a yards per attempt above 10. Baker Mayfield's has been above 11 for two straight seasons. With the best offensive line in college football and Mike Evans, Johnny Manziel capped out at 4,114 yards passing. Baker Mayfield, his best season last season, 4,627 yards. A significantly more prolific passer, but he also threw less interceptions than Johnny Manziel in his final two seasons. Manziel threw 13 interceptions in his final season at Texas A&M. Baker Mayfield has never thrown more than nine, and that was in his rookie year. Oh, but the character, all the character, all the behavioral concerns, all behavioral concerns. There are no behavioral concerns with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a bulldog on the field, one of the great competitors in college football. That was never Johnny Manziel. He was known as a hothead, but not one of the great leaders of men. That's Baker Mayfield. And you don't become a great leader of men with on-field histrionics. You become a great leader of men because you lead by example off the field. Because you're the first one in the weight room. Because you're a film junkie. That was never Johnny Manziel. Never spent the extra time in the film room or the weight room. But that's where you can always find Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a football junkie. Johnny Manziel was just a junkie. Johnny Manziel flying to Toronto to party with Drake. Sliding into frat parties on campus. What frat parties does Baker Mayfield attend? In what clubs would you find Baker Mayfield? None! Because that's not him! He's not wired like Johnny Manziel. He's wired like Andrew Luck! That's why the comparisons are so 
unfair and absurd. Because it's not just that he's vastly statistically superior, but he's also an inch taller, heavier, and literally wired in the opposite way that Johnny Manziel was wired. But when you're just spouting platitudes like scintillating college player and hitting Mayfield with that cliche immature label, which means nothing, he grabbed his crotch, okay, he's a fiery competitor in his early 20s, that's what they're going to do sometimes. He did not taunt his opponents with a money sign. Baker Mayfield doesn't think it's all about Baker Mayfield, the way Johnny Manziel thought the world was all about Johnny Manziel. And you need to go beyond the fact that they both won the Heisman and led their teams to epic upsets. I mean, really? Really? You can't go beyond that basic level of detail? So to tell me on the front end, Tony, that you're not lazy and then refuse to even try to scratch the surface is indefensible. I now feel gross for having read that. Both players were good. Both players have below average height. One did a money sign. One grabbed his crotch. End of story. We need some levity. I'm going to bring on a comedian. Ask him about the Baker Mayfield crotch grab. Steve Hostetter. He's a comedian based in Los Angeles. You can find him in comedy clubs in Southern California. And he just published a new book about overcoming nerddom. And I can't wait to talk to him about it. So go follow him at Steve, H-O-F-S-T-E-T-T-E-R on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, Steve Hostetter. Steve Hostetter is a comedian. You can also find him on the MLB Network, and he just published a book, Ginger Kid. Steve Hostetter, talk to me. I'm excited to be here. I'm wearing my best XFL clothing, which is my only XFL clothing, but it's a New York, New Jersey Hitman shirt that I bought after the fold of the XFL. It was like, I think it was like $3 at a Target, and I was like, damn right, I'm buying that. And I've, I've loved it ever since. I'm a throwback jersey connoisseur, and the XFL jerseys, the He Hate Me jerseys, are coveted. Well, the, the He Hate Me one is definitely the one that people know, because it's just so, it's so ironic that the player's last name was Smart. <laughs> but, you know, there, I mean, there were some other great ones as well. I just like the idea, and I do this every year. I go to a Super Bowl party. And I show up in my New York, New Jersey hitman shirt. And like some people will be like, what the hell is that? Like they think it's like some sort of rec league team. And then but you get the people who know what it is and they're like, holy shit, you have an XFL shirt. I'm like, you're damn right I do. So are you excited about this XFL? No, not at all. I think it's so stupid. But uh, I think it's I think it's very stupid, very opportunistic. I think the the idea of because right now there are so many people who are feigning outrage at the NFL over, you know, over the take a knee, which is just, first of all, it's a bunch of people who don't understand it. Um, so Arian Foster is a, a dear friend of mine, and I've talked to him about this at length. You know Arian Foster? Very well. He's a huge comedy fan. Oh, we love Arian Foster. I met him. He's awesome. Oh, so he's a, he's he's a huge best. comedy fan. I met him through the Laugh Factory, and, you know, we become, we've become buddies. Uh, he actually... He's uh, so he's got a house in Houston. Obviously, he played for the Texans for a long time. And he, uh, you know, he lost his house in the hurricane and he's OK. But so many other people there weren't. And so we did a comedy fundraiser in Houston where Arian hosted and did stand up and was fucking funny. And like most people aren't funny right away, like even eventual comics bomb at first. But anyway, the point is I'm off topic. The point is that I've talked to Arian about this at length. And the reason for that is because he was one of the first players to kneel that wasn't Cap. And because he had a conversation with Cap about it and was basically trying to understand it. And so he gave me a lot of, you know, the behind the scenes. And one of the things that a lot of people, even though this is public knowledge and a lot of people forget or conveniently ignore. No, they don't want to hear it. Right. The whole reason he was kneeling, because at first he was just sitting. And the whole reason he started kneeling was because a veteran on his team, a player on his team who served, asked him to kneel out of respect, saying that sitting is disrespectful, but if you kneel, it is similar to how the military would handle it. And so out of respect to the military, would you please kneel? And Cap said, okay. And so the idea of like kneeling being disrespectful, it's like, you idiots, are you even paying attention? And I love the people who are like, 
you got to respect the flag, just like this Speedo that I wear with the flag. You know, respect the flag by putting it on your nuts. Veterans are actually mad at this guy. Like, they're legitimately mad at him. Some are. And politicians have it in their bio, right, that I stand for the flag. Yeah. It wasn't in the bio a year ago. So anti-Kaepernick, and they've hijacked the conversation to such an extent. I've never seen a conversation this hijacked before. The sitting and then the kneeling had absolutely nothing to do with disrespecting veterans. Like, how did this even happen? I mean, at, at some point, you have to give the political operatives that spun this this way a little bit of credit for being Machiavellian assholes. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Like, look, if the if the left were like, hey, you know, uh, we, we do love ice cream, but we notice that the fat content is a little high, so we'd like to try to do something about it. And then the right would be like, our military eats ice cream. Don't you respect our military? And it, it's it's utterly ridiculous. It's about police brutality. It's about it has nothing to do with the military. And Literally there are nothing. plenty there are plenty of veterans who are getting upset about it. But at the same time, way more of them get it. Way more of them completely understand. Um, I you know I have a I have a good friend who served. We actually during the height of it, it was like the week the first week of the season. And but he and I went to a Dodger game together. And we were talking about it, and I was joking around about how, like, oh, I'm going to kneel during the anthem while they play it here at Dodger Stadium. And I talked to him about it and, like, what, you know, and he said that, you know, he will always stand for the anthem. And, you know, and he wished other people would, but at the same time, he understands why they don't. And it's like a very level-headed, even-keeled thing because he's a level-headed, even-keeled person. And, like, we need more of that in the world. Yeah, the problem is it might be construed as you mocking Kaepernick in that context. So you really couldn't do it there. It's just a mess. It's such a mess. I like Kaepernick. I want to see him play football. So that week, uh, that week, I actually, I did a show that same night, the second game of the season, right? That was the, like, that was the big one when, when Trump was basically like, you can't kneel or I'll shut down the NFL. And so then uh, a bunch of comics and I were performing that night. We opened the show by playing the anthem and we kneeled on stage. Basically, the idea of like free speech is incredibly important to our industry as well. Um, and trying to trying to spin it as a military thing is is utterly ridiculous. Just the idea of the anthem being played and everyone sort of standing at attention. And then to go a step further in schools, the Pledge of Allegiance. I just find the whole thing unsettling. You hear people reciting, I pledge allegiance. It's just something that a dictator would do. I mean, the first thing that I would do as a newly installed dictator would be to make everyone say the Pledge of Allegiance and to stand at attention at whatever events are happening in society. So to me, the whole thing, the whole spectacle of this, it shines a light on how just bizarre it is. The Sasha Brown Cohen movie. The dictator? That seems like something you would see there. If we actually did care about the military, then it wouldn't need to be a sponsorship. The military pays at the NFL and the NBA and MLB to, I, I don't know if they do anything with the NHL. I was at the Kings Ranger game in LA the other day, and uh, the instead of like the military hero moment that, you know, the NFL like gets sponsored, they actually had like a like police chief hero thing. Or they had like a they had like a brave cop thing. And so they showed it. So this is in L.A. and they show this cop and, you know, they're like, oh, blah, 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 from the Bakersfield Police Department. And they go through all the things he did and how brave he was and et cetera. And everybody's cheering. And I just turn to my buddy and I go, they had to go 90 minutes north before they found an honest cop. Like, that's awful. The idea that, like, they couldn't show one from L.A., because they're like, hey, this brave L.A. cop that's on the take that murdered a couple of black people. Yeah, everybody cheer. You know, they couldn't do that. So they had to go all the way to Bakersfield to find someone honest. Kaepernick's the reason for the low ratings, though, right? I mean, he's the reason that people aren't tuning into the NFL games. The reason for the low ratings is because, first of all, because the whole CTE thing. I mean, when Bob Costas is opting out of the Super Bowl, you have a problem yeah. that's bigger than Kaepernick. I mean, first of all, the lower ratings are happening because everyone's cutting the cord. That's the main reason the low ratings are happening. Correct. Because football used to be one of, okay. It's a structural shift. If you don't have, especially especially if you don't have cable, okay? Let's say you just have broadcast television, all right? It's a Sunday. What's on? CBS, football. ABC, football. Fox, 
football. NBC, football. <laughs> so you're going to be watching some game. Football, probably. I'm thinking football. If you want to watch TV on a Sunday, or let's say you even have basic cable. Let's go a couple years back, all right? Let's go like five years ago. So you got football on all the broadcast networks, which everyone had. And then for those that had cable, which is probably, you know, a, let's let's say, what, three quarters market penetration? Because there are there were still a ton of people in rural areas that didn't have cable, whatever it was. But let's say you did have cable. What are you going to watch? You're going to watch some shitty 80s Scott Bayo movie on Comedy Central that they're running for the eighth time? Or are you going to watch a football game? Because that's what was going on on Sunday day. You know, are you going to watch are you going to watch a 700 club or are you going to watch football? And so that's why it had such high ratings, because it was so ubiquitous. And now that you can go, OK, am I going to watch football on Sunday or am I going to marathon Black Mirror? You know, am I going to watch football or am I going to watch seven seasons of Game of Thrones? So people having options is the thing that's hurting ratings. That's it. That's right. That's it. That's it. But the football has been degraded. You would agree? It's I'm hearing it's not good football, but and, – and, and the quarterbacks are being waved around as a reason why it's not good football. How can it be good football if it's Blake Bortles? How can it be good football if it's Case Keenum? How can it be good football if it's Nick Foles? But most of the games – throughout this playoffs, have been compelling. This has been one of the most compelling playoff seasons in recent memory, so I don't think it's the football. Breeze versus Case Keenum was an amazing game. That was the game of the decade, <laughs> right? Yeah, that was one of the best games we've seen. In And it was just because it ended so crazy because that, oh, God, that poor rookie. Oh, my God, that kid Marcus who was just like, I don't want to do a pass interference right now. That would possibly be bad so instead i'm just gonna tackle a photographer on the sideline like he just completely went for <laughs> someone else but he, he wasn't in the path of the player i mean i've never seen that i've never seen that at the professional level that a guy would go in for a tackle on the wrong vector and not even be on the same plane as the player it was like madden on rookie level when you have one of those defenders when you're playing the computer and the defender's coming at you and just it tries to tackle air off to the right because you're on the fucking rookie level so stefan diggs scored a touchdown in the final seconds of the game to win against the computer on rookie level i was watching that game with a buddy and two plays beforehand he said because i was rooting for the vikings and he was rooting for the saints and uh, he said, I just root for teams who haven't won in longer if my team's out of the fight, which I'm a Giants fan. So my team has been out of the fight for a, quite a long time. So uh, I believe since week one. So uh, I was rooting for the Vikings and he goes, if I gave you five to one odds on the Vikings right now, would you take it? And I said, no. And he said, well, why not? I said, because the chances of them winning right now are so infinitesimally, infinitesimally small. I was like, I would take 10 to one if you gave me that. And we were as like we're talking about that, then suddenly that happens. Now, when it happened, I'm watching going, get the fuck out of bounds. Kick a field goal. Get out of bounds. What, what are you, you doing? Do you idiot. Because that camera angle, you couldn't see that, like, no one was in front of him. Right. Because I couldn't fathom the idea that no one would be no in front of him. No one was there. Who the f Why the fuck was no. no one there? But anyway, okay, go, let's go back to the other point. So the idea of, like, oh, well, it's been, you know, it's, it's, it's shady quarterbacks, not name-brand quarterbacks. Right. It's like, okay. Bad football, bad quarterback, bad football, bad quarterback. Ruff, 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 yeah, but there are other players on the team. Like, the idea, the average person... Who was the quarterback when Barry Sanders was Barry Sanders? Can the average person name the Lions quarterback? John Kitna? That's my point. But they were super fun to watch because it was Barry Sanders. Right. So, and Mark Rippon won a Super Bowl. Like, this is nothing new, okay? This is, there are plenty of garbage-ass quarterbacks. A guy with a very similar name to mine, uh, Jeff Hostetler. Yes! Won the, won the Super Bowl for, the, for my Giants. Which, by the way, oh, was I his cousin that year? But I like it's it's nothing new, and people are freaking out. And it's like, look, there are when you look back at amazing Super Bowls, okay? Like I think of people like Matt Barr, who most people haven't heard of, but Matt Barr is one of the reasons why the Giants won in 1990. Their kicker, their kicker, he was he was great, and he kicked exactly when you needed to. And why did? Why did the Bills lose? Because of Scott Norwood, wide right. So it's not just the quarterback. And I'm so sick of this ESPN lazy-ass narrative. 
of just like, oh my god, it's Case Keenum versus Blake Bortles versus, and it's like, no, there's so many other players. There's football teams are big. It's not like basketball teams. Football teams are very very large, and not just by by like weight. Football teams are full of people. And to to think that there's only one court, like just the quarterback's the only one that matters is is utterly ridiculous. And don't we like an underdog story? I mean, isn't it interesting if Hell yeah. Case Keenum plays well and look at the game that Nick Foles put up last week. I mean, it was incredible. Nick Foles hadn't thrown for over 250 yards in 5 years. He yeah. comes in and throws for over 350 yards. I had Carson Wentz in my fantasy league this year, and which was the main reason why I was competitive. Uh, well, him, and then I and then I picked up Kamara off the fucking scrap heap. Wow, Wentz and Kamara—that's a good combo. Those two were—I I started out two and six, and then I ended up missing the playoffs by one game because I had Kamara and Wentz, who, who just were amazing. And then once Wentz got injured, I was like, I'm not picking up Nick Foles. <laughs> Like I'm not just because the Eagles have to doesn't mean I do, uh, and I I had already lost, so I picked up uh for the final like the consolation game I picked up Eli Manning just to show that I would start him right solidarity yes yeah exactly yes. even if his own team wasn't going to I was going to start him, uh but it, it was just look no one expected when Carson Wentz was throwing as well as he was earlier this year. Everybody was like, oh, wow, the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. And then he went down, and they were like, oh, wow, the Eagles are going to lose in the first round. <laughs> like, it just everybody immediately. I said it. I said it. Yeah. Cold takes. And they, I mean, look, they snuck through, and then last week, holy shit. So is 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 he going to end up with a job next year, with a starting job next year? Probably. He's probably going to be signed somewhere. Oh, there were tweets soon after. The Eagles yeah. blew out the Vikings. You know, hypothetical scenarios where the Eagles trade Wentz for a treasure trove of players. And it's just like, stop it! Stop it! That's so ridiculous. Stop it with the recency bias. Stop it. Like, the last thing I saw is what that player is. How many times have we been fooled by players having a good game and then never being heard from again? This happens all the time in the NFL, which is why we love yeah. it. It's, it's one of the reasons why the sport is so compelling. It's that on any given Sunday... Yeah. A new player can be a hero in that particular game. What is it? It's any given Sunday or Monday or Thursday or occasional Friday or Saturday on any given day that ends in Y. They really have to update the phrase now because the NFL. That's actually another reason I would blame Thursday for part of why the NFL ratings are going down, because it's it's first of all, the Thursday, the Thursday games. I mean, it's not good. Like Monday night was special. And so I there there was something about the ritual of Sunday being your football day. Like the reason why NFL ratings were, were so enormous, aside from the fact that, you know, it was ubiquitous, like I talked about, is because you knew that Sunday was the day. Like Sunday was the day that you, you, you know, you turn on the TV, you invited your buddies over, you made some nachos and you watch the game. And that's how it worked. Which game? Doesn't matter. Your game? Preferably. But then let's watch some other games as well. Let's throw some shit on in the background, too. And now the idea that football, when it's on all the time, like the reason baseball ratings aren't great per game is because there's 162 of them each season, and it's on all the time. And it's like, oh, did I miss the Mets game today? I did. Well, how about I watch the other one in six hours? So with football, you, you just shouldn't do that. Right. They've diminished the brand with the Thursday night games, yep. and it was a short-term, greedy move that will cost them more money in the long run. Absolutely true. With the AFC games, we saw the Patriots come back again. It was so compelling where we just saw Tom Brady do the thing that he's doing where my wife is in the other room. I'm like, honey, come on in. Tom Brady's doing that thing he always does. You want to watch Tom Brady do his thing? Come on. But I don't think it was Tom Brady doing his thing. I think it was like like the Jaguars played an excellent like three quarters. Right. And then they were just like, hey, you guys want to finish up here? The Patriots, you guys want to play now? We're just going to we're going to watch the rest of the game. Statistically, Blake Bortles looked fine. Oh, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Look at him. He's fine. 250 yeah. yards, efficient, a high completion percentage. He was fine. He's totally fine. Yeah. Blake Bortles was fine. But 
he wasn't fine because they did not trust him to make throws in the fourth quarter when they needed yeah. just sustained drives. They refused to do that. They were so conservative. They, they bent the will of the team to such a conservative place on the most conservative end of the spectrum that I was offended watching it. Because these coaches asked their players to have so much courage and to sacrifice their bodies for a yard of real estate. And then when it comes time for them to make the courageous decision, they act like cowards every single time. Most coaches, when faced with an opportunity to kick a field goal on fourth and short, take it. Yeah. I mean, is that not maddening to you as a fan? Do you not look at these NFL coaches and just point your finger at them and say, you cowards? I I look at it and I go, play the game that got you here. Play that game like the and my finger looks weird in this, but play play the game that brought you to this place. Play the game you were playing for the first three quarters. Like, why? Why do you suddenly? Yes, just shriveled up. You stop trying. No more play action. Just straightforward runs right into the line. How? And look, if you want to be if you want to be conservative because you're up, you're up by like three touchdowns and, you know, you want to just run the rest of the clock. That's absolutely fine. But if you're up, if you're only up by 10. Against the Patriots! Yeah, you're only up by 10 against a team that came back, you know, from what was it, a 72-point deficit in the Super Bowl? Yeah, 78. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was 70. Yeah, it was, I knew it was something. It was something. Uh, a deficit the size of the entire city of Atlanta. Um, how, how are you going to play like that? It was just, it was gross. Anyway, the point is, uh, Alvin Kamara was a very good pick on my fantasy team. That's right. Did you see Belichick's utter contempt for the AFC championship trophy? Oh, I thought you were going to say for fashion, but yes. Uh, also, also that. (laughs) They give it to him as if a stranger is handing you a dirty diaper. That was his reaction. Imagine imagine giving a millionaire $1 and acting like it's a big deal. Like, this is a guy who seriously, he's going to be like, ugh, I got to hire someone to expand my trophy room? This is garbage. Like, he's, how many does he have? He's been, this is what, the ninth time they're in the Super Bowl? Yeah, you take out your wallet and you pull out a nice, crisp $1 bill and you hand it to Bill Gates. And you're like, right? Oh, you should thank me for this. Um, yeah, I, I, I looked at it and it's something like, I think it's since 94, the Patriots have been in the Super Bowl. This is their ninth time. They've won five, uh, and they've been in the playoffs. What's crazy about this. So they've been in the playoffs 19 times in that, in that period. If you go back to, I think it's 78, If you go back to 1978, the Eagles have been in the playoffs 19 or 21 times, which is a lot like that is, that's a solid amount. And they've been in the Super Bowl twice and they've lost twice. So, oh no, this is their third time. So, 18 times. It's a hard game to make it to when there's 32 teams. <laughs> 18 times. They've made the playoffs, and then they were just like, we good, fam. We good. Right. And it looks like the Patriots will have Rob Gronkowski because they did the whole comeback thing that they do without Rob Gronkowski. You know Rob yeah. Gronkowski will be ready for a Super Bowl two weeks to get over a concussion. I don't think Rob Gronkowski needs... 100% brain capacity to operate at a high level on the football field and dominate because I am Gronk and I dominate. Well, you know that like when he got injured, you know they were like, oh no, Gronkowski got injured. And they're like, oh, thank God, it's just his head. I mean, how do you test him for a concussion? They give him a simple math problem and if he gets it, they know something's wrong. Well, that's right. So the doctors on the sideline, they're, I don't want to say corrupt because they're not corrupt, but they certainly have a vested interest in getting their player back on the field. They've put the medical tent on the sideline to shield the public from seeing what actually happens when they're testing these players and how they're subverting the rules by asking Gronkowski questions like, what's 68 plus one? They're, I mean, they're a little bit corrupt. You know what? I actually, I would use, I would use the word corrupt and I'm not saying all of them are, but it, it runs it runs in that in that business the idea of like look cte wouldn't be a problem if they were all completely ethical but that said uh i think that gronk did you ever see the shark tank episode where all the gronk brothers went on no oh it is fascinating television so because and some people might not know this that gronk is not the only gronk there are multiple gronks chris gronkowski just started following me they're all they're all very gronky, by the way. 
Like, it's not like it's like, oh, and here is one Gronk. Here's Nobel Prize winning Gronk. Here is here is Rhodes Scholar Gronk. It's just like I Gronk, he Gronk, you Gronk. They're all they're all very Gronky. So the Shark Take episode where they're all Gronking it up is just oh, it's great television. You should really watch it. Have you heard the clip Bob Einstein on the Dan Levitard show describing yeah. Rob Gronkowski as this combination of wild animal and bionic man made of circuits and wires? It's a pretty solid piece of comedy. Gronkowski, who should be tested for something. Because I, I've never seen a human being like that go off the field. And he, like, snorts to his teammates. There's no English or anything spoken. He is. He is made of circuits. You're absolutely right. He really is. He's always a fire coming out of his helmet. And when he goes across the middle, forget it. 49ers wow. and Redskins. Redskins. What do you think he says in the huddle? Besides slobbering and breathing and sneezing and stuff. Do you think he knows his own name when they say, Gronk, we're going to you? Or do they just tase him a little bit? <laughs> Heart battle. As far as I know, it's absolutely true. And I think that, like, look, is the dude very talented? Yes. Is he one of the more talented offensive players of our generation? Absolutely. Uh, does he strike me as a complete and utter moron? Also, yes. Do you think Gronk knows his own name? When they say, we're going to you, does he even know what that means? I mean, this is amazing. This is a guy that's just out there on instinct, but and I can't imagine trying to tackle him. But we also have a Travis Kelsey, who's equally as difficult to tackle. In fact, on the playerprofiler.com data analysis, we just posted on Twitter the league leaders in tight end yards after the catch. And surprisingly to some, maybe Travis Kelsey well ahead of Rob Gunkowski because Travis Kelsey is also a monster with the ball in his hands. Now, you mentioned Bob Einstein. He's on the show Curb Your Enthusiasm. Where is that in the pantheon of television comedies? It is, it is wonderful. The one problem I have with Curb is it's a very difficult show to watch by yourself because it's so, it's like so much of the comedy is derived from like painfully awkward situations. And so like when I watch it by myself, I'm just like, eh, eh, eh. but if I'm watching it with someone else, it's a lot easier to like be like, ah, oh, look at, look at that. You know, you like, you don't feel, you don't just bathe in the awkward when you're with someone else. I have some good friends that love the show, and I have a great time watching the show with them. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, but by yourself, it can be that could be a difficult show to watch. Um, but that said, it is one of the most well-written and hilariously perfect shows. Uh, it's I think a lot of people don't again due to the ubiquitous nature of broadcast television because it's HBO. I think there are a lot of people that just simply haven't seen it. Um, I mean, there are. Like, there are plenty of people who just haven't seen a lot of it. And so, therefore, because it's not like a show like Friends, where even if you missed the original run, every time you turn on a channel, no matter what, they're rerunning it. It's on every flight you've ever taken. You need HBO now. That's the only way to see Curb Your Enthusiasm right now. Right. You need your cousin's brother's ex-girlfriend's account in order to watch Curb. So, uh, I, think, I think it's less ubiquitous, but so... If people were to pick their favorite comedies of all time, a lot of people wouldn't vote for it, but I, I think it's up there. It's a window into a particular person's mind, and I think that's what's interesting, is you're seeing a show that is 100% Larry David's sensibilities. Even the opening song that sounds uh, sort of carnival-ish. Yeah. He heard that on like a cold medicine commercial. It was the background music to some commercial that he saw, some random commercial that he saw, and he said, that's the music for my show. You could see a guy walking down the road sneezing, right, needing cold medicine, and that would be the music that's playing behind him. That makes sense. And he also talked about how there's this, this dichotomy between writing a show and performing the show, where the writing of the show can be a suffering, where he is miserable by himself, locked in a room, yeah, just grinding through the pages. And But once the pages are done... That's the relief. And then when he goes on set, that's just fun. He lays it all out there, does all the legwork ahead of time. All the pain is invested up front to write it. But the actual doing of the show, 
he has a ball. Like for him, it's like going on vacation is the taping of the show and the writing of the show is the actual work. I never really heard a writer, a comedian or a writer really lay it out in those terms, but it made perfect sense. Look, it's a great show. That's simply put, it is a great show. We talked earlier about the Eagles losing Carson Wentz, now Nick Foles. It was interesting watching Eagles fans' reactions before the game and, and watching them pelt Vikings fans with beer cans, but then also after watching them you know, take ATV rides up the rocky steps, whatever that is, the Philadelphia Library. This is a fan base that booed Santa. This is a fan base that threw batteries at opposing players. So when you think of Eagles fans... Do you think of them as just being passionate or do you think of them as being assholes predominantly? Uh, I mean, why can't both? Why not passionate assholes? Pashholes, if you will. Um, I, look, there are plenty of good, hardworking, salt-of-the-earth Eagles fans, I'm sure. But the loudest ones? Holy fuck. There are Raiders fans that look at Eagles fans and are like, meh, no, no thank you. I don't want to be a part of that. There's a dude right now, right now, painted like like with a skull on his face with a teardrop tattoo for the guy that he killed that looks at Eagles fans and is just like, this is too much for me. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm frankly, I'm afraid right now. I'm afraid. Uh, the idea, they booed Santa Claus. They threw, they throw yes. snowballs at children. There was a court, there was a courthouse and a jail in their stadium, <laughs> in their damn stadium, because they were arresting so many that they're like, we don't even have time to bust these guys out of here. We should process them at the game. And it's just been it's been very, very uh, not classy, I should put it. And I have some of my best friends are. Uh, <laughs> I know I know a number of wonderful Eagles fans. And the fact is, even as a Giants fan, I am rooting for the Eagles in the Super Bowl because I just think the Patriots have have wanted enough. I really wish the Jags had beaten the Patriots so that I could have rooted for the Jags. But like I said, I almost always go for the underdog. Um, you know, when I don't have someone specifically to root for, I end up rooting against. And so I'm rooting against the Pats because of it. Um, yeah, but uh, oh, I saw a great I saw a great picture. It was like a map of the United States. And it was like people rooting for the Eagles. And it was like the entire map, except people rooting for the Patriots. And it was like New England and Dallas. That's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> like it. that was it. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I I am just I am shocked and appalled by a lot of their antics, especially this indignation when like, oh, the Vikings held a peaceful rally on the Rocky Steps. How dare you, Vikings fans? Show some class. Why don't you beat up children like we do? <laughs> yeah, the indignation of the Eagles fans. Oh, you're just confirmation bias. You're just going out and finding the one guy. No, 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 no. We've been to road games as fans and not experienced anything like what you're seeing with the Vikings fans in Philadelphia. I mean, get out of here with that. Now, a player that should be indignant is Baker Mayfield. Because Baker Mayfield, college quarterback, won the Heisman. But now he's falling down draft boards because, uh, you, know, you don't know. I don't know. That one time he did grab his crotch on the sideline. Yeah, I don't know. That, that reminds me of Johnny Manziel. Oh, yeah. he's kind of short. Oh, oh he, he must be Johnny Manziel. Oh, we can't draft him in the top ten. Scientific meritocracy. right? The NFL, biggest sport in the country. And this is how we're going to decide who we draft whether or not he grabbed his crotch. I mean, did you see this Baker Mayfield crotch grab? Was, was that a big deal? Uh, the, the crotch hurt around the world? Um, I don't think it was a big deal. It came after Kansas players refused to shake his hand. Right. Like, it came... And, and also, the idea of, like, okay, so he grabbed his crotch. How old was he? 20? <laughs> like, what do you want from him? He's... I hate the premise of... Well, we need these children to act like adults. That's right. That's right. And we're going to scrub the personality out of you before you even get to the league at age 21. Fuck. And the idea of, like, Bill's fans are jumping off of trucks to destroy tables. And yet, you want a 20-year-old who has everything thrown at him to be so mature, they go, oh, you know, crutch grabbing during a game, is re that's really beyond me. Like, that's, that's so ridiculous. It's the whole, like, 
you know, let he who has not booed uh, Santa Claus cast the first stone. I think that's the biblical parable that we're talking about. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I just, I think, like, look, it, was it the most mature thing? No. Is it, does it matter? Absolutely not. He didn't, it wasn't like, look, when, uh, during the World Series, when, uh, when Guriel had that awful racist gesture at Udarvish, yeah, that's something he shouldn't have done. And also, Guriel, is <laughs> like 30, so it's a little bit different. He's an actual man. Um, when a child grabs his crotch at a team who has already roughed him up illegally against the rules, and also, I said illegally, there's not a law, but against the rules, uh, and also refuse to even shake his hand, and you want to talk he's immature? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Shake this, Kansas. Shake this. Yeah, let every let every team other than the Giants pass on him and let us draft him, and I'll be fine with that. Oh, if you get Baker Mayfield, he's the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. That would be a huge win for you. Now, Donald Trump owned a USFL team, the New Jersey Generals. In listening to a documentary about the USFL, Donald Trump only bought that team in order to force his way into the NFL. He wanted to grow the USFL and then force a merger between the USFL and the NFL. And that was his backdoor way into the NFL. I'm thinking, why can't Donald Trump just start an NFL team from scratch, like the Jacksonville Jaguars? So I think it's an interesting thought experiment. Because he has no money. Well, that's true. It's That's why it's a thought experiment. But what yeah. would the team name be? Like if Donald Trump could create an NFL team from scratch, what would the name be? What would the mascot be? I mean, it could be the Wigs. Be like the Mar-a-Lago Wigs. Yes. And like the like the mascot could just be it would look it would be like a tumbleweed but made out of hair. I feel like that could work real well. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the Jags coming out of nowhere, I, so I was looking through their uh, their playoff history. Oh. And it was it was kind of amazing to me how good they were, how quick, and then how much they sucked for how long. That's right. That's right. The original sin of the Jaguars. Well, because I was I was curious about it because right now you know the Las Vegas the I, I mean in hockey they are pretty much the best team in the league and that means the expansion system in hockey has failed because you should not be the best team in the league your first year. It's too generous. Yeah, so I was curious about it, and I was looking back at other history, and I was like, oh, man, the Jags were really good really quickly, and then abysmal. They did win. They won, I think, it, they won 10 games, but it was over the course of, like, four seasons, so it wasn't quite as impressive. Uh, but, yeah, they were, real, they were real good real early, and then real bad real quick. You're good at sports research. Yeah, I think you should write a sports book at some point because you already have experience writing a book. Talk to us about the book that you wrote. So my book is called uh, Ginger Kid, uh, mostly true tales of a former nerd. You're definitely you're sure it's former, right? Uh, no, that's the joke. <laughs> um, it's aspirational. Um, the uh, <laughs> it's it's basically uh, it's it's you know my journey through high school and getting bullied a whole lot. I know I was bullied in high school. What a what a surprise. And uh, and finding comedy as a way out. And uh, the basic message of it is, you know, everybody should find their thing, whatever it is. And, you know, you get uh, you get bullied for reading too many science books and go read another one. You know, go go be as much you as you can be and don't let them take that from you. And it's a funny journey. It's very self-deprecating. There's one story in there where uh, this girl named Scarlett was like really just dressing me down in the hallway in front of everybody. I had the nerve to have a crush on a popular girl. And like she was just lecturing me in front of everybody. And I thought I had the comeback of the century. She finally stops. And I just go, frankly, Scarlett, I don't give a damn. Without realizing that the average 14-year-old doesn't really appreciate a good gun with the wind reference. So it was uh, it was pretty embarrassing. And there's a lot of that in the book. The idea of like me trying to find my way, trying to find what was funny. And then eventually stumbling into comedy and realizing, you know, it was kind of like, Stumbling into comedy for me was like being dropped into the ocean and realizing I was a fish. You know, it just, it was, it fit. So it became my thing. I love the idea of you being ahead of your time with jokes and then the audience over time starting to appreciate you as you get older. But for a period of time early, you were telling all these jokes that were over the head of your classmates. I just love that idea. I love that premise. Well, I was, I'm the youngest of four. And so my sense of humor was always at a bit of an adult sense of humor. Yeah. And yeah. so I, because I was raised listening to comedy albums. I was raised listening to what adults find funny. 
And so I wasn't able to make 12 and 13 year olds laugh. I couldn't do it. And so then as you know, as I got older, it, it's not that my sense of humor was so advanced. It's just it, it, it wasn't my demographic. That's right. Children were my demo. Yeah. So uh, I think as I get old, but as I get older, I also learned to relate to people more. You know, there there's this uh, there's this thing when you get bullied of like, they just they just don't get me. And it's like, eh, some of it's you also, you know, some of it's you not getting them. And, you know, it's we sometimes we can be complicit in our own bullying. And that was part of it for me. And I had to learn that and realize it. And, you know, the book is the is the journey through that. So Tony Romo is very popular. He's the new signature broadcaster for CBS. The hardcore football fans are not as impressed with Tony Romo as the general football watching audience. Are you a fan of Tony Romo? Uh, as a Giants fan, it's so weird for me to say, yes, I am. Because for a while, you know, obviously he was an opponent. Although I was a, I was always a fan of Tony Romo in the playoffs. Huge fan of his work in the playoffs as a Giants fan. But I think as a broadcaster, he's been he's been great. It is it is refreshing. Why not? It is so refreshing to have someone who can call the play before the play. I think that's so cool. I love the energy, you know? Yeah, and how many times he has just been right where he's just going to be like, well, this is going to be this is going to be a halfback screen and be like, what the fuck? Is, how did he just do that? Yeah, and he's giddy when plays go well. I, I love it. Having fun in the booth is something I think that the broadcast need to emphasize. And I would love to see like a Jimmy Kimmel be brought into the booth. They've tried this experiment. It worked with Dennis Miller. Do you think that they should bring a comedian back into the booth like a Jimmy Kimmel? As long as they are knowledgeable enough about the game to speak about it accurately. I know football well enough that I can hang on a show like this. I couldn't broadcast a game, but I could do baseball with no problem. And so it just, you know, get someone who's got enough expertise that they're not going to ruin the game for people and then have some fun banter. Why not? Make it fun. Bad football, bad quarterback, bad football, bad quarterback. Ruff, 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 ruff.